Greetings programs. This is an episode originally recorded way back in early November 2016. It was the second part of two sessions uh, following up our original attempt to record our conversation about a curl that happened in early September that kind of quickly went off the rails and stayed there. Uh, that conversation I'll include in the next couple of weeks. It's kind of a B-side. Once again, I want to thank Jimmy and John for spending almost uh, two afternoons over here at the studios. But yeah, this is our first, I guess to say it's the first of two episodes talking about the comic and film spectacle that is The Crow. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. It didn't need, it didn't, I don't even remember what the rest the, the, of the episode it was. The, it was the Lollapalooza episode, and uh, it ended up with a, a Sonic Youth stealing uh, Peter Frampton's sandwiches out of his cooler. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, mm-hmm. then they accidentally set his floating pig, or they set, uh, uh, he was, he had uh, the floating pig from Pink Floyd on loan, and it got loose. Right, I remember. And so Frampton had like a meltdown on stage and began crying like a little girl. How? <laughs> it was just like Frampton. And, and then, uh, <laughs> How, how we need a so symbol cute. that says we're gay and Republican. <laughs> oh no, that was that was the pink elephant. That was the pink elephant. That was that was, that was a different episode. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Although it would have it would have actually worked in that the episode pink, too. Yeah. Really, I think. Uh, yeah. Anyway, are we going to start recording? <laughs> we should probably get started if you're going to be done by four-ish. And we're back. Welcome back to yet another episode of Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Uh, our second part... Yeah, our, let's say our second <laughs> our second part, or inadvertent second half of talking, of attempting to, ostensibly talking about The Crow uh, with my two guests here. If you, if you two would please introduce yourselves yet again. Hi, my name is Jonathan Asher. Uh, and this is Jamia Jefferson. I've been calling you Jemiah all this time. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Almost everyone does it to the point where I only partially notice and even more rarely actually step in to correct. I just respond to both of those things at this point. That's one of the reasons why when I meet people socially, I often tell them, just call me Jem. Good story. Simplicity itself. <laughs> it's okay, John. I forgive you everything. I forgive you everything. Did you... Did you immediate tangent did you ever see the um the youtube series that 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 a um what i guess a a drag performer and i think in san francisco did who goes under the post under the name sienna danima called uh jizz in the mammograms put your penis away jizz Have you ever seen Jizz in the ma- Jizz in the Mammograms? No. Oh, it's great. It's very much they they it's like a so guy wrong. redubs just completely creatively redubs only this time Jizz is a uh, kind of kills off the original gem and takes over as this kind of Jizz Jizz on your belly. Ooh, Jizz. My Jizz is real smelly. Ooh, glamour and glitter. Drag queens insane. Jizz, my jizz is contagious. Truly, truly fucking contagious. Human monster, drug pushing, 
like um, dangerous, amoral, whore. Yeah, just not just that. It runs 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 an orphanage for young girls. This sounds brilliant. Where, and, where like her entire point is just so it's forcing wrong. them to all to get an abortions. And yeah. um, why aren't we talking about this instead of the crow? <laughs> well, <laughs> Jeremy, because because we have to because I have to I have to finish up. This, I want to finish up this episode. Yeah. Else. No, uh, we watch we Jizz go. and the mammograms and then come back and maybe we'll do a podcast about it because really we, we, we've, we've got to, we've got to talk about that phenomenon. Yeah. And it's, and it's very weird to see, uh, see the guy show up on, you know, out of, at some point we'll like, you know, show up out of, uh, on like YouTube interview shows, just t- talking, like switching to the voice and it's as, um. <laughs> It's like seeing Dan Castanella, Castanella, Castanella whatever, yeah, yeah. Switch, switch voices and, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Or Frank Oz. Or Fra- yeah, Frank Oz. deeply surreal shit. Yeah. Just like all of us, because, you know, he's got his ordinary speaking voice, as, mm-hmm. you know, those of us who've seen the Blues Brothers know, and, uh, but uh, yeah. his individual voices for each Muppet character are really quite quite different except for not at all different they're totally all just his normal speaking voice yeah yoda to grover to miss piggy to um mm-hmm. uh the fozzy and uh, yeah, american world grover in, in to... london yeah. oh mr kessler <laughs> <laughs> the, it's almost oh. yeah, or it's like seeing like like seeing some, somewhere there is i think on the on the original on the original nbc show we don't need alcohol for this jeremy yeah uh <laughs> When Conan O'Brien had, I think before, this would have been, I think, sometime in the mid-aughts, but Conan O'Brien had on uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who did Ooh. Ali G, um, Borat, and, um, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Bruno or something? Yeah, Bruno, but did, uh, but rapidly cut, rapidly be switched between characters, like, uh, well, in a conversational tone, and it's one of the, like I said, it's, it is the... Um, one of the most uncanny, disturbing things ever. And he's like, a freaky, like wizard level genius. Yeah, he's a brilliant. He's guy. like he like kind of literally scares me because no one should have that much intellect and ability in one body. Like it's it's ridiculous. But you know, his his family is so incredibly super duper brilliant high end that mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense that if he was gonna like go into the, the, the silliness profession <laughs> that he would, he would be bringing that level to it. Yeah. I think we were, yeah, we were denied a thing. Well, the original of the plan, they, somebody flouted a few years back of having a, a having a, a period Sherlock Holmes movie only with him as mm-hmm. Holmes mm-hmm. and Will oh, Ferrell as Watson. So yeah. They just let them go, you know, he, yeah, okay, here, you know, here's, here's, eight, oh, here, here's $80 million. You have four months. Go make Maybe a movie. Maybe it's not too late. Seriously, we can still have that. That's true. I can... mean, all more more Sherlock Holmeses, the better. I want all of the Sherlock Holmeses. Just give them to me. I've never, I've never seen or experienced one that made me feel anything less than yay. That was awesome. So yeah, that would that would totally that would that would make my life very very happy. Including the TV mo- the TV TV movie adaptation of the Seven Percent Solution. Including that. What, what about um. What's uh, the mouse one? Oh, the great mouse detective. Mouse detective. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I love that. Radigan. Oh, Radigan. Oh man, <laughs> he's the best. That was that was mid eighties. Uh, Don Bluth wasn't it? It was indeed. Okay. Uh, at the top of his game, and just the songs in it are so good, and the animation is so good. And yeah, it's it's, it's not. A, 
really well, wonderful movie. Not, anyway, don't, don't don't forget the next generation Star Trek. You know, Moriarty. Oh yeah, love uh, him too. Was, yeah, was uh, the the really sympathetic the anti-hero episodes of just like you know what people who aren't Moriarty are wrong and they should go fuck themselves. <laughs> That's pretty much where I get from that episode. And you know, with you know, Captain Picard just being like just fangirling kind of and trying not to because you know Moriarty's a criminal and Picard's very anti-criminal but like even by the by the end of that episode even Picard is seduced Moriarty he's the best the absolute best set up kind of that arch enemy duality between mm -hmm. him and Data and mm -hmm. the, the the Professor X versus Magneto uh, yeah, yeah exactly this, this is what happens Brotherhood when, of Evil Mutants yeah, yeah. yeah. when uh, <laughs> when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object mm -hmm. and they both and and were both allowed just to chew scenery and that time <laughs> it was Moida I was say they got six X Men films out of that that's economy. the problem yeah. with the Crow mm -hmm. is that there is no unstoppable force it's true. i mean or the, or the crow is the unstoppable force and he has he doesn't have a wall no wall to hit against he's just he's just going on this revenge killing spree mm -hmm. and he's he's holding and he's miserable stacked and, deck and uh know, taking care of people and you know looking for, after folks at the cop shop but mostly he just is angry and he goes and he kills people horribly the and, end and yeah which yeah, if you would, uh, I think you as the comics, the I don't know, the uh, ostensible most comics professional out of all of us, uh, would you be able to run down the, could you give a, a quick uh, summary of the original four with the caliber? I don't think I can, actually, because I haven't read them in so incredibly long that I don't remember the original uh, Obar comic series like just the straight up ones that he did I don't remember much of the detail I don't remember like the story details almost at all like only can just think of what the artwork looks like okay and just the sort of overwhelming like psychological space that the artwork in those in those titles kind of puts you in but the actual like the specifics of the story are kind of lost to me I mean it's been like 27 28 years since I read those and I wasn't able to and you know I foolishly didn't get you know the comic series out of the library in these intervening weeks because I'm bad I'm a bad person <laughs> I remember a scene where the crow uh kills someone um and that's about it no um that never happened yeah, narrow that down one, one of his victims like I guess there, there's a fight scene and then uh, the the crow has some sort of like um, sword or something, and he cuts his legs off. Oh, it's a katana, yeah. It's and, he's, and, and he's like just sitting there, not knowing that his legs are cut off, and the the and uh, the crow is just kind of uh, calmly sitting with him. It's like you're gonna bleed to death now. That's yeah. why that's why it's getting colder. It's cool, bro. I'm not mad at you. Just this is what's happening. Yeah, that, <laughs> I ain't even mad at it. It's like I, I got, bleeding out. I got it out of my system, so now you're just gonna you're just gonna die and all matter effectly and I got stuff to wow, do. That's grim. I bet but I mean that that, that left the most but that's kinda cool. That that left a big big impression on me about the character that he's he's really kinda He's a monster. He's a one-issue voter. Yeah, but spr spread over four issues. Um, More Frank Miller than Frank Miller. 
And yet, uh, well, I think yeah, I think originally created at the at least at the same time the series the series was kind of brought into being over the the. The, you know the the same early '80s arc that of Frank Miller's rise to prominence of, mm-hmm. oh, on Daredevil stuff. That's certainly the the context in which I was you know sort of handed the comics and said, "Hey man, read this. It's really extreme." And uh, because uh, some of the very first sort of you know non childhood comics that I ever read were um, the Dark Knight returns and you know frank miller's work on on those things and so i was really into it obviously because mm-hmm. it's really really good and also like the nihilism of it really appealed to me at that particular time i mean it still kind of does but um uh, we've had all these years to you know to add frank miller context um with the crow um it's a different kind of nihilism, I think. I think it's a lot less. It's a lot more individually personal. I think very, very much so. Um, much more born from intense personal trauma. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, because I mean, what's ever happened to Frank Miller? I mean, he was mugged, and he took it very hard, and hence we have Frank Miller. Right. And that's really that. You know, it was it was his sort of like you know it, it was. What is that? The primal scene, uh, to to use a Freudian term of the, you know, it actually describes, you know, when a kid walks into, walks in on his parents having sex and it just like freaks him out and they're damaged forever from that point. But, you know, I I didn't know that about about Miller. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that probably happened, too, because like really his relationships with women are really a bit, they're a little bit weird. But no, mostly his being mugged in New York City. Was he mugged by a woman? Cause... Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm not, I'm not, maybe that's the secret. Um, in, his, in his in his in his current recollections, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm only I'm not laughing because it was a I'm Muslim just... woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and that's how in, yeah. in, in niqab and leather pants. Yeah, and, and that somehow exp- you know, hey, that maybe that explains Dave Sim. You never know, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, well, well Frank, Frank Miller always has very uh, ruthless and very powerful women yeah yeah i mean and uh in a lot of ways he really kind of um i think that he believes that he's really kind of like elevating the status of women by showing that they can be just as bloodthirsty and cold-blooded as men um almost to like yeah with but but at the same time it's like uh you forgot to actually add a real character they're not really humanized at all they're yeah they're, they're kind of they're kind of a, uh, it's it's like very obviously they're com- dames. It, it, it's a fetishized yes. look at um, yeah. yeah, like what the you you can obviously like see into the what the creator was was trying to to to, to show right mm-hmm. and um, but yeah, I think it's it's the it's that fetish it's the it's that fetishized object uh, that the fetishized aspect. Not just all of the Sin City, the hyper um, hyper stylization from St- Sim City, but uh, Sim City, <laughs> Dave, Frank Miller's Frank Sim Miller's City. Dave Sims, Dave Sim City two thousand. Um, so, I would play that every day. Yeah, and, 
uh, yeah, a, 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 a hyper misogynist noir set in a in an urban environment that you build and have to like you know allocate roadways and taxes. That sounds so great. Uh, but it's like, did you did you see his um God? What was it? It was like his holy war, holy war, oh, holy ter- yes. like his like his holy like rejected war, holy terror, his rejected oh. Batman script that was turned into featured like not Batman and not Catwoman, but a not Catwoman that's even more hypersexualized. I think at one point they straight out just get it on you know besides all of the uh him mocking you know mocking various democratic uh politician but just at some point yeah not batman and not catwoman i'm trying to remember if they actually do full-on just get you know get it on in their um you know explicitly get it on in this strange hyper politicized pre new 52 um rendition i i I haven't even seen because I, I haven't I have I've only seen like one individual page of it because it was it's owned by a former colleague of mine mm-hmm. you know who was Frank's representation and editor for a really long time hmm. so she has a lot of a lot of Frank originals and uh it's a pretty nice page but at the same time it's kind of yeah, uh, uh I'm not really even sure how to describe it. Um, it wasn't that, anyway. It was not a page uh, depicting Batman and Catwoman doing the uh, making the the beast with of two... the night with two backs, <laughs> yeah. as it were, um, yeah. which would have been so fabulous if it were. The be- the, more like the beast with two bats. Um. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it's a. Uh, but I haven't actually read the the project at all because I'm just you know it's certainly at the time that it came out I was like I really I kind of don't actually need that kind of negativity in my mind right now. This is a little more than I can than I feel would be entertainment. Yeah, but bringing back in terms, uh, bringing it back to I guess on the aspect of entertainment, but also. Frank Miller's work is, you know, as he went on, is it's almost like this is what happens if you let um, 80s comics brutality just keep going on and on and on for decades later, which mm. is at least especially um, I'll give a quick summary of the of the comics. I think I reread them, reread them uh, in preparation for our uh, first attempt at the show. <laughs> Which was more more uh, more weeks ago than I would want care to admit easily. Back when we were young, yeah. But the I think the initial story is is far more this kind of very bare, uh, a story that um, like matches its, its the art style and that it's far more stripped down, very black and white. But you know you have this young young couple in passionate like um, you know romance lit majored uh, passionate. Um, in love and ready to be married, but uh, living in Detroit. But I think what is it? The, the driving along and doing this from ill-prepared memory instead of like you know reading it on the. <laughs> I could read it off the Wikipedia, they, but they were they were they were totally presented in like romance novel cover imagery of yeah, like their relationship. They've got they both got long, fantastic hair, until, and it's sort of blowing in a light breeze until and, it's all ruined, and then it, yeah, and, and then they're soaked in blood, which just kind of makes it look cooler. Yeah, but but I mean, it's like they, they keep juxtaposing. This is the romance novel cover that we're trying to get back to, and this <laughs> mm-hmm. is what we long for, and this is what is, mm-hmm. you know, Eric Draven is obsessed by this, this you know, this angelic by this Harlequin thing. <laughs> but it's, it's but it's not because it, but and it's but it's so it's so stripped down 
the they don't even have last names. It is oh. just it's not it's not Eric Graven and Shelley Webster. Mm-hmm. It is Eric and Shelley. Mm-hmm. It, um, I mean, screw it. I want. I'm I'm kind of curious what yeah. the what the actual wiki, uh, the with the wiki synopsis of this says. Um, as we were, this is the uh, this is the. Uh, if this isn't the if this isn't the modern Webster's dictionary defines such and such as this is the wiki uh, the the wiki plot synopsis for the comics. I just edited that like twenty minutes ago, so it's all <laughs> wrong. Just so you know, I anticipated this. The story revolves around an unfortunate young man named Eric. He and his fiancee Shelley are assaulted by a gang of street thugs after their car breaks down. Eric is shot in the head and is paralyzed and can only watch as Shelly is savagely beaten, raped, and shot in the head. Mm-hmm. They are then left for, dead, left for dead on the side of the road. Eric later dies in hospital operating room while Shelly is DOA. He is resurrected by a crow and seeks vengeance on the murderers, methodically kill, stalking and killing them. When not on the hunt, Eric stays in the house he shared with Shelly, spending most of his time there lost in memories of her. Mm-hmm. Her absence is torture for him. He is in emotional pain, even engaging in self-mutilation by cutting himself. Mm-hmm. The crow acts as both guide and goad for Eric, giving him information that helps him in his quest, but also chastising him for dwelling on Shelley's death, seeing his pining, pining as useless self-indulgence that distracts him from his purpose. <laughs> there we go. That's uh, <laughs> a couple hundred, couple hundred word summary of the crow. The in, end. The end, yeah. Wow, it, yeah, I do. I do remember that it gave you a lot more insight into his that the crow is directly talking to him and saying, "No, go do this thing, do it specifically, and stop being such a whiny little baby. Go kill that guy in the worst possible way, and that will be as close to you feeling good ever again that you'll ever experience." Later's <laughs> caw. I, I mean, when I, the age I was when I read that stuff, I, I knew people going through a lot of yeah. inner turmoil. I mean, everybody's got depression and feels like an outsider and they're like yeah, but 12 and 13. On the other hand, you know, how many of them were, you know, assaulted by a gang of street thugs and then shot in the head and then forced to watch while, you well, know, the, they gang rape your girlfriend well, and then she dies and then you die. That's why it, that, that's why it's a popular you know, story because <laughs> you don't have to. Now, now you can just, in, you know, in, enjoy... You can enjoy the catharsis. In, you know, enjoy what fun that sounds like. Yeah, it uh, does sound great, doesn't it? That, you, I could use a vacation. There's got to be someone has. Let's see. <laughs> I don't you can know get a, any street thugs, though. I, I think the movie kind of got away from his own, like, uh, I guess, mental health issues um, as uh, resurrected. Oh, no, I'd say they definitely, they definitely uh, um, uh, address that quite a bit. Um, I mean, that's what half of the songs on the soundtrack are about. Um, and he does do um, that thing where he uh, uses the um, the brace on the uh, broken rose circular window as a sort of you know pull up bar, which is and he does it very angstfully. Yeah, and uh, jumps up, you know, swings out, grabs yeah, it, gives, and then comes, comes back, back in and, and is his... like really he's not just filled with sadness; he's now also like physically pumped and is ready to to uh, go, go and, and kill those guys. But also then when he is talking to Albrecht all those times, like he's really he's playing up kind of his insanity in a way that makes the viewer wonder whether or not he's kind of faking the insanity because he's so clearly like messing with Albrecht's head 
and just being like, I'm nutso, and Albrecht is like, crazy dude, please stop being crazy. Yeah. Um, I guess I just I just meant that it, I, it's because it was. But he's not like paralyzed with grief. So it would be it was it was cleaned up to the extent for for the mass for the audience. Movie. Yeah, for mass yeah, audience. The it the it just didn't feel like uh, as. Uh, Straightforward, messy. pure, or messy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't as messy. Well, it wasn't. It, it, he wasn't as complex a character. He didn't have as as his dark side was just that. You know that, that it, it was obviously he was wanting to take revenge for what happened, but otherwise mm -hmm. he seemed like a pretty reasonable and nice guy. Yeah. Uh, in the book, you know, you to be a zombie. <laughs> or Revenant, yeah. Oh, Revenant. Uh, a, a Sorry, zombies. Isn't it a, a leech or a lich? A lich. <laughs> a, a, I think a, a, a lich. A hemi demi lich. <laughs> I think he's more. I think, but isn't a lich? Uh, a lich is much more. There, there were minions of the necromancer that raised them, right? Or is that yeah. more of a? I uh, say, but it's more of a. Yeah, he's he's far more Revenant, who just you know, dude from back from the dead. Yeah, without than... a particular like direct logical explanation as to why this guy you know why he's alive now uh, it's just the spirit of the crow animated him if he bites you do you reason. become a zombie too or i don't know i don't think i don't know, I think you we see him bite also. anybody he should have you know tried yeah. that um but i guess he didn't want any of them even to you know rise from the dead he just yeah. wanted to make sure they were like dead dead but you know like a like a friend it, yeah he wanted to yeah brutal. like you want to hang out for another you know ever like, until you know the Till the Earth's mantle is burned off of, uh, off of the core, and the sun goes nova, and the sun goes nova. You want to hang out? Sounds I think good. I think the whole story would have been so much cooler to me, uh, um, in far as like what it meant, uh, if the crow was ugly, mm -hmm. if the crow um, wore makeup because he was so repulsive or so mutilated or whatever yeah the later film the later films get into that where the make where the makeup and the the facial design is a result more of scarring than than pretty boy than affectation than, yeah than pretty well, boy affectation I'm, I'm glad that that finally the later crow films are you know finally got it and that's that's where the <laughs> it only took them 20 years but well, well you know. so so <laughs> Sure, but 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 I mean, you know, it's you have. And a then, lot of course, for some reason, uh, just a minor interjection that because, of course, they're remaking it again, starring Jason Momoa, who is one of the most naturally, incredibly beautiful men that's ever lived. Why are they casting another gorgeous dude in that? Because you know, clearly, we want him to, you know, have a quite mutilated face. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe they just cast him for his sick, sick body. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. It's like the audiences get to get, you know, he's the, a massive, massive goth the, dork. <laughs> the, the soft sex appeal of getting to see like this rippling muscle body. Like, yeah, you get to see Benelli, and you get to see. I mean, what if, what if uh, the crow was a fat guy? Yeah. Like, would, like what? What if the crow? Uh, like was resurrected and, and like became hugely bloated white white makeup you know put on the white makeup and, and just didn't have good posture and kind of looked <laughs> like regular people that you would see like but if, waiting I, for I, I think with the, the aspect of the visual look is that uh, again we're dealing with goth here goth no check that 
idealized goth here. Idealized goth, idealized not, not goth. real world goth, yeah, not street level goth. Because I've been to some goth clubs, and I mean, there's, <laughs> they look like you and they're, me. They're, yeah. they're, they're not, they're not like wraiths. But some, of the, are, the some of them are the lucky ones. Yes, Eric. Yeah, both Eric and Shelley in the books are drawn very, um, like I said, I, a very ideal, you know, ro- idealized, romanticized uh, mm-hmm. goth of, you know, Eric, like this full on. It's kind of what would happen. Oh, look, let's take the idea uh, that um, that's who the, that's who he's. He, I just realized he's 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 drawn to look like a hypermuscular. Well. At least a muscular Peter Murphy. Yes, yes. Which oh. of course is basically all any of us has ever wanted. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, I don't need the muscular version, but you know, I wouldn't say no to the muscular version. But a muscular Peter Murphy, sure. More, um, yeah, more so than because Ian Curtis was didn't, never really had that visual aspect. Even you know, he, he you know he was a kind of a skinny, gawky guy. Yeah, he he wasn't the he was so but he wasn't a guy running around without a shirt on. That was no, he could have, and I wouldn't have minded, but you know he certainly wouldn't do that with his incredibly low self-esteem and even in the i think in the in the in trivia that you read about the i really need to find that book the trivia about the making the movie brandon lee had to drop like you know voluntarily dropped mm. 20 pounds mm-hmm. of muscle i'm doing the peter murphy diet right now <laughs> what, what what lots and lots of meth yeah it was like <laughs> and that's sh- it. shooting uh, yeah how much are you, you know how much are you shooting up meth every, and a, a gigantic and a, and a spliff as long as your arm yeah. and that's pretty much it and the occasional jack and coke and oh, that's pretty much how okay. he's maintained his girlish figure all these years he's got some substance abuse problems he kind of does a little bit he's a he's, he's a very nice person from what i'm told you know, in, in speaking of injecting i think he's he's normal really he's nice sometimes and sometimes he's awful but you know he's he's a normal he's a normal person my my friends uh opened up for him at Mm. the aladdin last year oh nice and uh uh the the he's nice to other musicians well (laughs) would certainly hope to like the only other you know what i hear he actually went out of his way to say oh hey i love you you know and then he 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 fangirled at them yeah and i think he and then he wanted to kind of like hang out and stay up all night he was I mean, I like it from, from like, she He's told me. He's got adult children. He should not be begging bands to hang out with them no, afterwards. No, I think. He should, like, send the tour bus and call his kids and his wife back in Turkey and just be like, how are you guys? You know, do you guys need anything? I'll be back in, like, two or three weeks. Yeah, cool. I love you. Bye. But, you know, I guess he just, he, he, he wanted to feel the sparkle of youth again. Well, the, that's was like, what, what point were you going to make? <laughs> yes, your oh, point. Sorry. Yeah, what about about Peter Murphy wanted to hang out and chat all night and? Oh, I, I was just gonna say I I think that might have been not all coming from a place of just kindness and goodwill, but also maybe a little bit of whatever he was using for you know for the show. He, mm-hmm. he was definitely. I, I genuinely I, don't I, I don't judge him for like uh, like amphetamine use because he's in his mid 50s and he has to like tour globally and do lots and lots and lots of shows and he's you know he's in he's in much better shape than he was but it's still completely exhausting so you know if he wants to do some meth okay sure but just the i think just the image of him up all night and like just want um 
it's straight on. Crossy the clown oh, won't nice. leave. Oh. <laughs> like it's, oh, let's, let, oh, look, wedding albums. I just want to go home. Peter, we don't want to see your vacation slides a third time. <laughs> I know. Iceland was gorgeous, but like we really got to go to bed, man. And, but yeah, the, but the band thing is a part of uh, uh, endemic to the crow, not only just the, the soundtrack to the film, which mm. they did cover a couple. Uh, a couple Joy Division songs yeah. for the thing, which yes. I mean, you have, uh, but goth and alt rock and you know, de- uh, check that death, death rock. <laughs> there we go, death rock and kind of post punk were just shot through the book. You have, you know, mm-hmm. uh, co- cops named after Joy Division members. Oh, um, right, Albrecht. Yeah, there's like there's like at one point his dialogue. He's the, the character is a full on walking. You know his own version of MST3K of just spouting reference, you know, quoting everything from like you know uh, Byron and Shelley to like I mean they're Comset Angel reference angels references that are <laughs> oh, like, like wow. pure lyrics book chapters named after uh, named after is he um, me <laughs> yeah book chapters named after Joy Division songs and there's like the, the Cure stuff in there but very um, that's what I do like all yeah. day long and almost nobody gets it well because <laughs> like most of what most of my like nonstop quotes are Talking Heads lyrics. And or Radiohead lyrics, and you can just insert those in a normal conversation, and no one can actually tell because the lyrics are made out of ordinary conversation. And uh, but nonetheless, it's always really fun to you know. I'm like that with Simpsons quotes. Yeah, yeah um, Simpsons quotes aren't really like normal conversation unless you're just quoting normal conversation on the Simpsons. That's true. I think for me, it's more of I can't turn I can't turn off the ref- the internal the inter- internal reference the reference machine. Right. <laughs> It's like a ticker tape, but yeah, but get the but the part of the book, like I said, it's it's stark. The character is stark. Like at some point, he's he's straight out. Obar, it's always told, said that um, that James Obar wrote this, you know, as a response to both, you know, he just kind of senselessly lost his girlfriend, girlfriend or fiance to uh, a drunk driver, which mm-hmm. screwed him up pretty bad. Mm-hmm. When at one point, he went went into the army, was over in the army in the early eighties, over in Germany, and I think read a newspaper account of in Detroit you had you had a couple that was mugged and killed uh, for an engagement ring right and so you have the two bits of that kind of fed into your you know him wanting to um, uh, you know it's, it's, you know express it through art in terms of this um, mm-hmm. and the that, that, that gave that gave him his in as yeah. I like to call it just gives him the tag to then build upon and that's why I watch so much TV you guys I'm looking for the next I'm looking for the tag to find something to then be able to base an entire like you know to base 90,000 words of prose on and uh, you know I've got like 18 of those <laughs> backed up for me to actually do now I have the inspiration now I should probably watch less TV and do more writing only 100 and, what 168 hours in a week that's right and uh, yeah I should really yeah um, anyway let's not talk about the fact that I'm just not producing anything right did, now did anyone ever try and do a crow TV series oh yes oh yeah right from the uh, uh, mentioned it I think we briefly mentioned it last time but it was it was one of those in the wake of the Saturday Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> Saturday afternoon crow <laughs> In the way, well, think. Remember back, you know, it was the it was so the nineties. Like yeah. So you have your post, you know, uh, thanks to Next Generation, be proving that syndication could be, mm-hmm. was a viable thing. You had all of these. You had the magic that is Forever Night. 
Oh yes, which I think it just wound up not mm. went from being was it went from being syndicated and just wound up on USA or was the maybe it was the other way around? It was the other way around because uh, Forever Night is a is an entirely Canadian production, and so uh, I think USA was just sublicensing sublicensing it from there and then kept it going, but also USA's money in grabbing it for syndication to put it on that station gave it enough money to Continue. have a yeah to have a, a final season to actually wrap up the overarching story which was apparently happening all the time which um yeah there's no way there's no actual overarching story they decided all of a sudden that there was an overarching study and they were just like oh if we were to conclude this we need a whole nother season of 22 episodes so about six of those episodes are relevant and then the rest of them are um well Forever Night. It's a challenging show. It's not for everybody. Yeah, it's like taking your movie and decide, taking your movie, or more importantly, just kind of random, random IP intellectual property, and mm-hmm. it's like we're going to build an entire film, film franchise universe out of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, it didn't work. Okay. And especially yeah. doing that with something that in trying to retrofit that uh, that aspect onto your movie license. Mm-hmm. The so the crow television issue uh, is, inform us but it, it's I remember very, there's i remember something about it but it's like the details completely escape me but it, it's very much in the, in the kind of like post her no not just hercules xena mm, yeah. you, had all, you had all these syndicated genre shows your andromeda your your hercules your and then xena Cleopatra, 69 69 <laughs> wait was that was that 69 or 25 20 tw- no 25 25 oh, it right. really was 69 69 i mean they just changed the the numbers to make it more palatable but... and yeah we and we we Such did a great show we and we I think we mentioned in a previous episode uh, Bruce Campbell's Jack of All Trades. Oh yeah, good old was, Jack of All Trades, which was paired with that. Mm-hmm. But that's but into that mix of kind of you know not the best budget, but all but it's kind of like uh, taking the crow as episodic television, almost you know borderline procedural mm-hmm. of like he helps people out and it's it's but it, and it's shot. I think they, it was like shot in Vancouver, but it's it's very it's much more mm. sunnier. It's like shot in daylight, mm-hmm. and it just it just looks really it's it looks very very weird. Completely like wait, as if they just mm. hey we have this we have we have the rights to this property. Let's throw it into this model of he's like the equalizer. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> of murder with with uh, only with longer darker hair. Yeah, and making and, and not a shirt. Yeah, and making much although. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing. That's Did the uh, equalizer the, take his shirt off. No, it's it's the crow uh, as Lorenzo. Shoulda. It's the crow Shh. as Lorenzo Lamas's renegade, <laughs> <laughs> where he's you know long long dark hair, black leather, rides a motor. Really does you ride a, even joke about ride a, that, ride a motor rides a motorcycle. Oh, yeah, wow. ladies and gentlemen, you can go find. I think almost every, of course we live in the modern era, so almost every it's episode. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. Is, is, yeah, it's on YouTube in full. <sighs> um, do you have that. a tragedy that you've experienced in your life? Are you seeking revenge and are <laughs> are, are are torn apart with uh, with, with grief and do anger? Like and, <laughs> do you have no outlet for this? Well, I am Eric Draven. Yeah. I'm. I am an undead hitman for hire. I have no foil. I just I just stalk until they die. Mm-hmm. If you can find them, then maybe you can hire the crow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then he walks away sad and alone at the end of every episode like the incredible hulk yeah and somehow and for some reason carrying a backpack and that, where and, it gave what? and a crow on the shoulder and a, and a, and a guitar and what oh my god and, and worst get, goth cliche in the universe and, and that kind of like that kind of shitty jackson looking <laughs> ibanez jackson looking metalhead guitar mm -hmm. mixed with um and katana um which is all like funny how the crow led into uh, at the same you know it, as was the style of the times of the eighties how the how the comic crow as was the style of the time could bleed into you know so you know all the the visual tropes fed into say eighty cyberpunk at the same mm -hmm. time oh well, um, yeah I'm, I'm thinking about that long haired guy with the katana who like got got uh got stopped some sort of crime on the max oh yeah yeah <laughs> he's really cute like i was but, like did somebody get his number get he, him representation what, like he's he got a good like, face he seemed like the, the the caliber press yeah comics reading type yeah. what was the story behind that a guy who uh hippie touristy guy um not an actual uh portland local but like uh visiting from somewhere else in on the west coast slash he brought, pacific northwest he or brought his katana with him and he had his katana with him and there was like an altercation with some mean guys like menacing a woman on the max and he whipped out the katana and then put foot to ass and ran off the the perps the entire max car burst into applause they took everybody took his picture by the time he got off the max like news cameras were there to greet him and he's just like no i just you know it was the right thing to do of course i was you know of course i was gonna you know defend this you know de defend these people you know who were you know they didn't ask for that yeah. and they're like but you have a katana and he's like well yeah is the mo like the modern hippie ronin is that yeah. even i didn't even know that was allowed on the max it i don't think it is of not like, but all at the same time i, I guess you don't make if you don't make a or? if you don't make a thing out of it yeah you can kind of bring your katana on the, you know like wrap it up in you know in a giant teddy bear or something or a violin case but you know then if you see some like malfeasance going down it's like open carry i'm totally for open carry with yeah Katana. totally i agree it's, i think we should in fact all have blade weapons like just everybody i think we should be assigned them when I, we hit puberty the, i'm sorry i have to push back you know of course you're leading us down the dark future where sword canes <laughs> become an acceptable fashion accessory for uh, for people wandering around the uh, only uh, uh, I, pioneer pioneer center I don't the only have a response to a bad guy with a sword cane is a, is a good, good guy, guy with a sword cane. cane or a sword umbrella cane or one of the or uh, you know, like it, Mycroft Holmes and it's you know, it's just going to lead to derringers too yeah um, also derringers and then maybe tasers oh and then we get into the monofilament and yeah pretty soon we've got a sort of cyberpunk yeah and we're, for all we're back to cyberpunk hey, we, <laughs> yes oh, dude, we, we already we're already in our corporate in our in a modern corporate dystopia that's right um uh was it Gibson who did the sprawl, or was it Yes, Stevenson that is. Okay. Uh, well, why does the well, Second Amendment have to be an argument about guns? Right? It's about weapons. Yeah, it's about. It should be about I, weapons in about, general. Let's talk about you know nunchucks and katanas. Nunchucks. The, yeah. the nunchucks. The um <laughs> the obvious the obvious connect. Right. We'll use this as a transition point from talking about the comics to the film. In that Brandon Lee's father's work had to be censored <sighs> in Britain because. Um, was it nunchucks? Nunchucku mm -hmm. um, were are a banned weapon, and so if internet lore, which is, uh, is correct, which it 
Of course, it probably it's is. It's on the internet. Of course, it's true. That British film censors chopped would chop Bruce Lee's films because it's all of the you awesome sequences because you couldn't show. Drugs. Yeah, you couldn't show the sequ. What is it? Is it? Is it Fist of Fury? Well, actually, it's not just Fist of Fury. It's like almost all of them are. Yeah, they? pretty much all of them. He uses Nunchaku at least once in all of them. In uh, there's a movie. There one of the three. He uses Nunchaku twice, and mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. Um, but I don't remember which because <laughs> I was so incredibly, incredibly drunk the last time I was watching Bruce Lee movies, and we had all three, and we just like alternate them? them each night. Oh, okay. We shotgunned them. Ha ha ha. No, it was uh, that time when uh, um, Thunderbird was 99 cents a bottle at oh dear. Uh, the, uh, um, uh, whatever the grocery store was that was on Woodstock and 45th, and I lived on like 47th and like up the hill there, and none of us had anything to live for. So we just, we bought like like 25 bottles of Thunderbird and, you know, stocked the freezer, and then every afternoon and evening we would just sit down drink t-bird and watch bruce lee movies and so generally we'd, we would run through all three each night but they were in different order and um yeah it was just over and over again just watched all the bruce lee over and over again cue uh cue the b-52's deadbeat club <laughs> <laughs> hey we were recent college graduates yeah that's, that's very much it. it's like if you if it's a certain age if you or just we hey, were I, living reality bites. I, I, I spent that summer uh, working at a sports bar in Ann Arbor, doing a radio show, and staying up till sometimes dawn, sometimes mm-hmm. sun uh, sunrise, mm-hmm. playing um, playing Xeno Gears on the PlayStation mm-hmm. One, listening to uh, listening to a lot of Sunny Day Real Estate. I think, mm-hmm. and, like like you do, yeah, like you do. It was a wonderful time. Uh, I would have had a different life had I been able to get any kind of work whatsoever. So I spent my days. You know, looking for uh, raiding people's gardens and trash cans and stuff for enough food to get me through a day. <laughs> Pre-modern Portland. Yeah. Um, yep. This is what a this is what a college degree gets you, kids. Take it from me. Develop your dumpster diving skills in high school, so that you've got them once you graduate from college. Oh, a pair of bolt cutters will pays for itself in like a week. I'm telling you. We uh, we like to think of ourselves as not only an informative and entertaining podcast, but also one that gives life lessons, life hacks, even mm-hmm. to yeah. Because the, the there's du- there's no reason in the world why anybody in the United States should ever go hungry. And uh, if you gotta like crack into and grab a refuse that somebody else has already has thrown away, then do it. For heaven's sake, do it. It's ridiculous. There is no Just such yeah, do it. There is no such thing as waste. It's only stuff we haven't figured out what to do with yet. Exactly. And uh, I tell you, when I was dumpster diving for food, I have almost never eaten so fantastically well in my life. It, those were the golden time before they started locking dumpsters, really. And, you know, with all these, like, nice, natural, hippie grocery stores around town, they didn't lock their dumpsters. So, you know, it was hip deep and, like, delicious organic foods that were like three days before their sell-by date, which meant that they'd be good for another several weeks after that. And that was wonderful. So would you say that... Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was going to ask... Would so would you suggest that Bruce Lee films encourage freeganism or just only or mainly just accompany them? I would 
would say that they definitely make a fine accompaniment to um, anybody experiencing a lower a, a, a lower class kind of existence, not in a you know moral or pejorative way, but in a socioeconomic way. That really, once you you know once you've pounded the pavement all day trying to you know and come home with like seventy eight cents, sitting down and then watching Bruce Lee beat up a bunch of motherfuckers makes you feel a lot better about life and well, it gives you the motivation to get up the next day and do it again also it's 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 a it's a great um it's a great parallel about learning the rules mm -hmm. to Discipline. eventually to eventually be able to break them exactly for your own yeah, yeah. And, 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 and and learning like just the discipline and the that, dedication to that you. is the uh, the Jeet Kune Do <laughs> model of you know understanding and learning you know, kung fu traditional uh, learn the rules fighting so that you can break them right but then making it your own uh, so so you know you see a dumpster it's locked you realize they don't want you stealing the food but. It's it's bound for the it, landfill now, anyway. It's now, bound for the landfill. It's almost definitely still good. Mm, if you don't have to use the bolt cutters, don't because that means that they didn't have to replace whatever uh, security measures they were using. On the other hand, it's better to do that than to go hungry. So yeah, you know that's, that's right. That's where I stand. They, they put I'm the, a socialist. They put the chains there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're gonna run me out of the. They're gonna run me out of the nation pretty soon. In a couple of days, they're gonna they're gonna come with the pitchforks and the torches and the bits of broken up furniture and say, socialist, get out of town. You have compassion for people who haven't worked their whole lives. <laughs> who have, but who don't have enough for whatever reason we can't really, but I'm sure it's their own fault and I'll be like, uh, guilty you, as charged. You want to help people who need help? Yes. Ah. <laughs> oh, come now, let's say this is Portland. It'll take the it'll take the the, the, the angry hordes at least a couple of years to make it out this far. No, man, they have trucks, dude. They have trucks. I've seen them. They're in town already. They're waiting for me to slip up. I've seen them. I've seen them. I've, you know, I've had sometimes pleasant conversations with a few of them, but at the same time, I can see, see behind their eyes that they're just, they're just waiting. For, they're waiting for the signal to come. I saw, I saw a truck with the, with, the, with the Trump Pence bumper sticker. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've only seen one so far, but I, well, that's good. I was. It's still very just like I, seen mm -hmm. I see a lot more like Lexuses with Trump Pence stickers on. That, that's strange. <laughs> I don't. I don't even understand that. Uh, it's because they just hate people who are. They don't like women, and they don't feel that reproductive choice is uh, is a moral thing. Just and people who own Lexuses. Um, they often own Lexuses, yeah, oh, because, yeah. you know, yeah. if you if you don't have very much compassion for your fellow man, or if you don't have any, in fact, it really helps you get a leg up in business. Yeah, the social, the, when they actually analyze the socioeconomic, um, what is it, the averages of your average, uh, Trump, Trumpins. Sure. Trumpins well, a bag Trump support. Is, it is, no, it is. They it, certainly it is, earn a lot more money than I do. Yeah, it is, it is remarkably above average. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, they just, they well, just I, specifically dislike they don't like 
Democrats and they're American exceptionalists and they don't like Mexicans and oh. they don't they don't like brown people from a different border in any particular like when they say they don't like foreigners I doubt that any of them totally hates Canadians right or <laughs> Irish people or, or, the, or, or Ukrainians or, or like the Czechs or Polish yeah like or... like those gorgeous long-legged chicks from Serbia <laughs> I don't think they mind those foreigners but but the brown ones no But getting back to things destined for the dumpster, as well as violence, <laughs> yeah, the Crow film was after the, after the ons, <laughs> and this is what ha uh, you could say, part of what happens if um, if you go to a non-union state like North Carolina, mm -hmm. for the very same reason why many many companies have large manufacturing operations <gasps> there, including companies that started and are headquarters in Portland, Oregon, headquartered in Portland, Oregon. They filmed it in Wilmington, mm -hmm. where on a, if not a non-union crew, at least a place where, um, where uh, safety and where you know operating regs were very loosely interpreted. Yes, let's let's give them that because I don't think it was, I mean negligence, absolutely, but. Well, there were at least there were no safety mishaps on the set of the Crow. <laughs> That's well. That's the thing. Yeah, they were. Uh, they, they, you know, at the time, they were like, "Was they talking Come about it was without cursed, a hitch?" Yeah, <laughs> they shot it so quickly, dude. <laughs> yeah, cursed production. Yeah, they 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 went beyond it. To the point where like people were getting like, what is it? A couple guys got electrocuted. Um, yeah. One of the things that because it was such a rushed production and underfunded, um, I think there the onset was the onsite the onset. Uh, I remember reading read a lot about the in fact there's even a couple books about just the produ the production of the film mm. one of the bits is that people were talking about how they you know like yeah they're trying to they're you know they're trying because the film itself was only given maybe like 18 million they're like yeah they're trying to get a, they're trying to make a 30 million uh, dollar film mm -hmm. out of like 18 million mm -hmm. and you cut a lot of quarters doing that including having uh well you know established and well-trained um prop weapons handlers mm -hmm. so that the what it, and we're, we're, uh i don't know how, how much detail do should we get into the onset accident of like what actually oh we should definitely get into detail about it it's really that's the reason why anybody really i mean it's not the reason why people think about or know about the crow but it was absolutely instrumental in making the movie the hit that it was a, a, into a giving thing. it that sort of cultural cachet that it had because i mean this is it, an onset death is still a very of an actor the lead actor right. is just actor. simply it's not something that happens and it wasn't like uh, something fell on him he, yeah. he was shot he was shot by his co-star who when they were horsing around oh i thought it was actually filming a scene. no it was it actually filming a scene it was no it was filming it was, oh it, for heaven's it sake was oh during, yeah that's right during the it during the there's a scene in the film one of the uh, i think one of the well what it later became a flashback because um. if you cut things into flashbacks you can um you don't necessarily you can show things out of order and you don't need to have right and you can then like reshoot those bits with a stand-in yes yeah but the would shoot the, i can't remember if it what was it fun boy it was the um it it uh it, it was the uh the the morphine addict yeah who um, uh, uh michael uh michael wincott 
No, not no. Not Michael Wincott. Um, I can't what's his name? Uh, he just passed away like eight days ago. The the blonde guy. The no, not hair? the blonde guy, but the guy with the long hair and the drawn face and the man who actually shot Brandon Lee to death. Oh, he just died a few days ago, actually. And it's really sad because uh, the only the headline that he was given to announce his passing was actor such and such killed Brandon Lee in onset accident. <laughs> and they didn't like the headline has says nothing whatsoever about any That's of his other hard. acting That's roles. Terrible. And so those of us who are fans of his work were just, you know, out, absolutely outraged. Uh, I wasn't outraged because I'm uh, too busy going through way too much emotional stuff of my own. And I was just like, purpose. damn it. No, but Not at the like same time, say. it's like, dude. Someone was oh, thinking, now this yeah. movie's really going to be a hit. Yeah. Michael, mm. Michael Massey. Michael Massey, who played that's fun, right. I always played get Fun Michael, Boy. Yeah, Michael Wincott is also in the movie, so yeah. I get really confused. Michael Wincott, the, the guy, the, um, <laughs> the, Canadian, the Canadian actor playing Top Dollar, the, uh, the international male, <laughs> long, you know, uh, early 90s, long, you know, long, beef long, yeah, beef, long, luxurious, straight black hair. And vests and leather and um, international mail. Michael Massey was the actor's name. The you know just died died October twentieth, twenty sixteen, at the age of sixty four. Yeah. Uh, due to an uh, an onset mishap, which is putting it politely. Oh really? Well, what it was was he was the one who. No, he's fine. Well, no, he died of like. No, he, no, he, no, he, no, he didn't die. That you know, he he died. He just died, he died recently of. Uh, it's, well, it doesn't say. It's, yeah, did somebody it's shoot a, a projectile uh, at him? No one shot him. He's never been shot, as far as I know. I believe that he died of like you know one of those multiple organ failure type things. Yeah. Um, the, and he was never, and he was just never the same after that. Because yeah, Brandon Lee was like kind of his best friend at the time, oh. where they'd really become kind of close on set, and so yeah, they were really they were having a really good relationship between actors who were like can you believe we're doing this crazy movie ha 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 wow it's sure unsafe here anyway let's shoot that scene but the um in the just in the details of how you of prop weapons and blanks versus actual bullets and what um you know what you shoot with what versus because uh, of just due to how they how they just you know having a, you know deciding that they needed the, the the gun pointed right, at the, you know, right at the camera. You know, camera staring right down that barrel, and you actually need to see the bullet tips. But it was a thing where, due to you know, this probably due to you know everybody being exhausted and, uh, and rushed through a lot of things and just negligence through, uh, yeah, negligence through uh, less than ideal working circumstances. The prop weapon had a. Proper up in heads. Was it a wadding or what is it? Was it an actual? I don't think it was it an actual bullet head, but it was kind of like part of a part it's of on a, Wikipedia. Yeah, it's on Wikipedia. I guess that's that's true. <laughs> you but can fact check on the fly. Uh, Michael Massey, that the actor, quit acting for at least a year after um, after this happened because he's like, no, I'm out of it. And Rochelle Davis, who played Sarah, the uh, mm-hmm. you know, well, in one of the many uh, one of the many expansions from comic series to uh to film because the comic series i think she's in like this little blonde wave very um very victor hugo um (laughs) what eponine no uh just like tragic little that is eponine yeah kind of victor victor hugo like um uh low torch i can't think of the word but um damn it let me look this up real quick (laughs) 
but yeah, she but uh, she the, the actress who played Sarah she quit acting for years uh, like for several years and then only event just do you know more than likely due to this before getting back into it and let me look up the, um, the de- let me do a quick wiki look up of the detail she got back into it when she realized that it, it can't rain all the time <laughs> I bought the uh, black I di- coffee and cigarettes yeah oh, I yeah I didn't um, I uh, actually well here while I look let's let us take a break okay because um, we've been going we've been going at it for about an hour it's about 315. And let me look this up really quick, and then uh, we'll get back together and chug through the movies. Okay, I'm going to go have to sit. Coming back to and getting back to the, uh, at least the info on how Brandon Lee actually died, it was a thing where, yeah, Michael Massey, who plays Funboy, the morphine addict, which is an interesting thing they actually did, they kept over from the comics, and the comics, again, is a morphine addict, and in the comics, um... Draven, well, I should say the crow uh, grabs several of the morphine bottles for his own use later on, and like in like the later, you know, Sweet. in the in the later showdowns, is like is shoots up straight, you know, shoots up in his neck. Oh. Um, before because uh, we no, it is established both in in comic and in film that he can feel pain. Mm-hmm. Um, thus the cutting sequences in 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 both uh, in both uh, renditions. Ooh, the okay, going through the going so the, the, the scant details about it was there's the, the scene where they're filming the scene where where uh, Eric Raven comes home and finds the other um, you know fi- walks in to find his fiance just you know being beaten and raped by um, street by, thugs by the street thugs like you do yeah. <laughs> Uh, Funboy is the one with you know pulls the forty four, shoots him, but because of because of how they how the crew were prepping the prop weapons, not really prop weapons, you know this was a this was a straight forty four. They did um, going between shots of like close up shots of you know of a gun. Let's do a quick let's do a quick little I'll quote here. A previous scene using the same gun had called for inert dummy cartridges fitted with bullets but with no powder or primer to be loaded in the revolver. For close-up scenes which utilize the revolver, where the bullets are clearly visible from the front and do not require the gun to actually be fired, dummy cartridges will provide a more realistic appearance than blank rounds, which have no bullet. Instead of, okay, here we go, in terms of like cutting cutting corners and filming in, uh, in North Carolina, Instead of purchasing commercial dummy cartridges, the film's prop crew, hampered by time constraints, created their own their own by pulling the bullets from live rounds, dumping the par- powder charge, then reinserting the bullets. How, however, they unknowingly left the live percussion primer in place at the rear of the cartridge. At some point during the filming, the revolver was apparently discharged with one of these improperly deactivated cartridges in the chamber, setting off the primer with enough force to drive the bullet partway down the barrel, where it became stuck, a condition known as squib load. The prop crew either failed to notice or failed to recognize the significance of this issue. So mm. when they're actually filming the sequence where, you know, he, actors are, tw- are, you know, they're across the room from each other, you know, they, 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 sw- you know, they, they so you have this, this damaged gun, which was not inspected properly. Mm-hmm. They give the, they loaded, they just, they 
you load it up with, with blanks, give it to the guy, and so they actually do it. Yeah, and you uh, actually film the scene and critical detail from later in, later in the wiki. As the production company had sent the firearm specialist home early, responsibility for the guns was given to a prop assistant who was not aware of the rule for checking off firearms before and after any handling. Therefore, the barrel was not checked for obstructions when it came time to load it with the blank rounds. Since the bullet from the dummy round was already trapped in the barrel, this caused the 44 Magnum bullet to be fired out of the barrel with virtually the same force as if the gun had been loaded with a live run, live round, and it struck Lee in the abdomen, mortally wounding him. He was rushed to the New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington, where he underwent six hours of surgery. However, attempts to save him were unsuccessful, and Lee was pronounced dead at 1.03 p.m. on the 31st of March, 1993, at the age of 28. <laughs> the shooting was ruled an accident. It's so sad. Yeah. I loved him. He's so great. And yeah, he lost a lot of weight. If you see him in the picture that he made uh that he shot before this movie i mean we should really stop using that word before that he filmed that <laughs> before not, doing this yeah, if you get yeah. rapid fire rapid, is that rapid fire is excellent rapid fire it's very good and i really enjoyed it um he's well. yeah he's a good 25 30 pounds heavier like he's softened you know like uh, he had the he sort of still had a um, um what's often described as baby fat um, around the contours of his face that just made him look like such a good guy. He just, you know, was just such an adorable, like, you know, high school dreamboat. And then, you know, of course, in The Crow, they really stripped him right down so that, you know, make those cheekbones pop a little bit, you know, make the, you know, the, the muscle contours look a little bit groovier. Um, it's a very common thing. You have to sort of, you know, it's almost like being in a, you know, it's like being a wrestler. You have to make weight before you get on camera. And, uh, you know, some, you have to do kind of whatever it takes to really make your musculature, um, look right, um, on, like on camera specifically, um, people who are, um, sort of like, uh, like bodybuilders and whatnot, they may not, uh, if they're not going to be in before an audience, they don't really look that way. Um, there's a certain process that you go through to drop a lot of water weight mm -hmm. to sort of dehydrate the tissues and sort of dehydrate the skin. So it sort of like cleaves to the, the body a little bit better and it cleaves to the muscle, it cleaves to the musculature a little yeah. bit more to you make it like jump out. Much more, much more cut where out. Yeah. Uh, this was, uh, this came to mind, um, watching, uh, Dr. Strange yesterday where, uh, um, Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, has his one shirtless scene in the movie and, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty built up on that. And I'm like, uh... I wonder, I wonder if they did that at the very beginning of filming or at the very end of the filming because trying to maintain that kind of physique for an entire shoot is really, it's kind of unsafe. Um, and for him to just sort of be in his like, you know, like top physical condition with as much muscle on his body as possible, it may not actually look the way that they, it may not provide the, the, uh, the presentation that they're hoping for to you know give you that impression on screen um it, uh based on um chris evans having uh to basically like do 100 push-ups before his uh first shirtless you know post ser uh, super serum scene in captain america the first avenger 
um, in that, you know, he was as pumped as he possibly could be, but they figured they could make him look even more pumped if he had been very freshly exercised immediately beforehand. So he's just doing push-ups before he has to go on camera. Whatever happened to the prosthetic Ricardo Montalban? <laughs> no, that's his real chest, dude. No, like he was buried. He was buried in it. Yeah, Ricardo Montalban <laughs> was built as hell. That's his actual chest. That's no prosthetic. That's how he's actually built. I... It looks amazing, but no, that's is that true. I mean, there's just it's some pictures. It looks like. Yeah, it looks terrible. It know? looks like a prosthetic. Because I know. Because that's I'm a it's tricky, one, baby. Yeah, it's, I'll say it is one of the more. Um, Infamous, contested. Yeah, infamous uh, bits of trivia about the about the film about uh, uh, that film's production. The, the, the wrath of God. That, that that it's not a pathetic. No, because he just really had that like really super built up chest just naturally. I mean, he had that kind of he had that chest when he was like in his twenties, and so in his sixties, I'm guessing he was in his sixties in Wrath of Khan. Maybe younger because I think he was younger because he looked like he was in his. 60s and like the naked gun. <laughs> that's yeah. probably true. A um, six or but seven years yeah, I mean that, that's the reason. That's part of the reason why his costume is that way, so you can show his manly, manly chest. Right, and he is, you know, what was the, what was the um, God? What, I can't remember. Kirk mockingly refers to him as something like, "Oh, I am laughing at the superior because he is the superior, the superior intellect." intellect. I, said, I am laughing at the superior intellect. The superior bearing, <laughs> but back to but God, back, 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 but back, well, but, but the, the weird thing about in um is at least in the crow the bot I think the body modification is not just I mean it was it it certainly predated modern you know post uh, post P ninety X CrossFit mm -hmm. Hollywood mm -hmm. but in this case it wasn't so much um you didn't know you uh, you know you the the ideal body type was yeah it's exposed and, it's, it, and it was it's very well-defined musculature mm -hmm. but it's it, but it's junky look yeah it's the, it's, the, it's like the uh like heroin a, chic yeah heroin yeah, chic very much exactly show. where and it's kind of a thing where yeah that's where and a lot of the there yeah there were far more you know because the marketers knew what they were doing or at least thought they did <laughs> there are far more there were promotional materials of him without his shirt on like kind of just like you know he's in full makeup and and, and like you know white body um white um you know, he's got white body paint all over his you know he's topless mm -hmm. like you just shots of him in 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 the uh, in his attic that they 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 you you know was used as part of the uh, promote you know it's like going for those peter murphy uh peter murphy bucks mm -hmm. um kind of funny if like, if, like um, golden era, <laughs> golden era Bauhaus. They actually, they all went. They all, they're, they're all put through a, a, a training regimen, <laughs> and to see what kind of what what, ha, what would become of them later. You remember, <laughs> side note, d around the corner. Um, did you know that they're actually very briefly in the building that houses Future Dreams Comics mm -hmm. and a Jazzercise location? <laughs> there, there at one point was a place called Bauhaus CrossFit. <laughs> using using the logo, I, it's like you did not license that. <laughs> using the band's logo in the um, you know the, that icon in their logo. Health God, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but that that icon was was uh, 
that pre predated the the band, didn't it? What did what didn't it come from something else? I don't know actually. I uh, I was uh, it was much more to Joy Division. I was never I think the only the only uh, the the only Bauhaus album I have was uh, is the live bootleg, which I played on That's Halloween. Great. You should really get into the magic of just their entire output and everything surrounding it. It's just it's so. It's so multifaceted, and and so much of it is very silly, and, mm. and um, just a lot of different like, like the amount of experimentation with different musical styles that they did is something that is not really you know considered about them as a as a group these days, except for by their fans. And I mean, it's it's just such a good time. Yeah, I think I I own more I own more Love and Rockets albums than I do Bauhaus mm. albums. Yeah, that's and that and yeah. that's because there's more of them for one thing. Um, there's really not there's only a handful of, of actual Bauhaus yeah, albums. There's, there, well, the, the, there's originally four, and then they mm-hmm. came out with that. And then they go away yeah, white. and then there's Go Away White, which is it was I you know I was. Okay. It was nice that they they did that. It, it is, but I don't, I, you know. I, 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 I hope they made a bunch of money from it because, uh, you know, I I didn't buy it, and uh, I'm a humongous Bauhaus fan. Yeah. But I gave it a listen and was like, I don't know, this is not really working for me. I just, and just occurred to me another another great, we'll call it a transition or bridge point, mm-hmm. the going from um, from Bauhaus to the music of the film and and mm-hmm. and also the mm-hmm. soundtrack the it was like both film and soundtrack right place right time right band where because mm-hmm. it was hitting i think the uh sean o'neill at the av club did an excellent excellent um uh just long piece on on each song of the soundtrack but also it hit the, you know because it was positioned perfectly where ntv was still marketing towards gen xers but it was kind of like it was the when you're getting all the all the follow-up the follow-up grunge bands the 120 minutes had been on for uh what how many years at that point and and Uh, had been in like 85 86 yes and had been by that point had been joined by alternative nation Mm -hmm. and it was really really good yeah i think i think the inclusion of the stone temple pilots on that um soundtrack was a bad idea. Yeah, that was and, that was. Uh, well, on the other hand, you uh, know, they were they were of their moment, and well, they were yeah, they were a big thing at that time. May, again, May of 1994. That um, even then, I mean, I thought like, well, this just doesn't fit at all. And <laughs> then, these and then, things is not like the others. And then, and then, then they put it in the movie, and they're like, have a like, car chase or whatever, and it's like, time <laughs> trick, homeward everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And and it is still and, and it is still my and it, and it is still my favorite uh, for better or for worse still my favorite Stone Temple Pilot song because yeah because for uh, which, it's kind of good it's, actually it's got the best yarling yeah it's got really, oh I don't know no pu- hungry no, um, or or push like they're with the in him doing full on laundry yeah when yeah him doing full on him doing full on Eddie you know kind of their their breakout Eddie Vedder like uh like singing but the, the soundtrack like i said it was if you and if you were um the, i graduated high school the month the film came out so oh, i was wow. i remember a freshman year of uh, freshman year of university been like losing your virginity that was it was just it's just one of the things you remember <laughs> of uh of that's of, we like i said we saw that film three times that year mm-hmm. once once opening night, mm-hmm. once uh, at a dry, at uh, at the Miracle Tw- Twin Drive-in on the east side of Flint, Michigan, Ooh. 
paired with, of all things, um, Beverly Hills Cop Three, which <laughs> which uh, which had a which had a uh, had a cameo by uh, by a pre hated George Lucas and his then wife, um, and then later I, I think remember that. and then later uh, then later saw it on campus. I like George Lucas now. I still like him. I, I wish people would get off of his dick. He's fine. I, I like what he did. He uh, likes black people. Yeah, I like that he built the the, the affordable housing yeah. in the community where they wouldn't yeah. let him build a movie studio. Yeah. <laughs> did he? Actually, but did like, he, fuck you. We're gonna have poor people well, living here then. But, that's but, right. But did he actually yeah, follow through on that? Yeah. And, but and did but did I think part of it, it, was, it was one of the criticisms was like, well, that's a great you know. That's commendable, but did he build up any infrastructure on there, or did he just like here we're gonna have this low-income housing unit in this neighborhood that, that does not have any inf- any infrastructure? <laughs> yeah, that has that had that is the, uh, complete where everybody's completely priced out of you know it's, it's like being uh, being on low-income housing and all, being able to shop from nothing but Zupans. Yeah, you know, I've been there. Well, but and but 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 yeah, but just being on the. Um, but that sound much like the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Those are the two. Uh, those two soundtracks, the Crow soundtrack and the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, were for me. You know, senior year high school and well, I think senior year in high school and uh, and also freshman shit, freshman sophomore year of university, which was for me. You know, it was like freshman year started uh, fall of '94. Natural so Born like, Killer soundtrack also. Yeah, the Trent, guess, Trent Reznor symbol. Yeah, that was the in, Rez, Trent Reznor covering. You know, appearing on the soundtracks, covering uh, covering a Joy Division song. Was, yeah. it, was, it, was it Shadow Play or was it was it was it uh, was, was it New Dawn Fall? Dead, Dead, Souls. Dead Souls. Yes, that was it. And indeed, that's still pretty much my favorite uh, Trent Reznor slash Nine Inch Nails yeah. project. Like the, my favorite track of his, of basically of all time. And you know, as shameful as it is, it that one song is what got me into Joy Division, like, actually, after, you know, kind of knowing a couple of their songs um, since I was, you know, 12 or 13, because I'd seen the video, and was like, oh, Joy Division, but, you know, I didn't really, you know, uh, um, Lovell Terrace Apart wasn't really one of the things that was really presented to us very much, and I'd never heard any of the, you know, records or compilations or anything, and that one particular track that uh, that Trent decided that he would cover, I was just like, God damn, that's a really, really good tune. I should really, what is this? What is Joy Division all about? I think I'm going to actually like pay attention to this. And then did, he's like, oh, I love this. Did <laughs> you, or did, did either of you go go to the Wonder Ballroom to see uh, Peter Hook and the Light uh, cover? Not this year. No, apparently, I guess he does it every year, which I what? totally didn't know. Yeah, not, not, uh, if one of my coworkers was like, uh, yeah, it's now my yearly, my yearly cathartic uh, dance party. And um, I was like, he does it every year? She's like, he's, he, um, he's done it at least three times. I'm glad to hear that because I thought I missed my, I thought it was like a once in a you know, mm, yeah no I guess he does it and he has a good time and it and this sells out well so he 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 trades bass or at least on his first tour because this um he trades bass duties with his son because he can't play and sing so his son who is also uh, his son is there He's playing human. bass um <laughs> after all. and after we record remind me I'll show you the uh the first time they first time he came through on a solo the solo uh his solo band tour um played just down the street at Doug Fur and I got to meet him afterwards and got a nice photo with him. And I just actually said to him, like, by the way, you're the reason why I switched from guitar to bass. Like, yeah, that's what I like to hear. 
but oh. the um <laughs> the but in terms of cover you know covers are the jo- yeah joy division are a band through which covers are the way um are the entry point yeah they're they're definitely the uh they're 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 the the training wheels for you know riding the actual bike right that's you know moby covered uh moby covered a joy division song for the soundtrack of heat uh a couple years later after the crow mm. but for me uh, it was discover getting into um new order no um god damn it it was <laughs> the guys the guys who the guys who formed luna what did they do what was the band before luna galaxy 500 yeah Galaxy 500's uh, cover of Ceremony. Oh, yeah, that was right that. place, yeah, right time. That is so good, in, hitting yeah. that, encountering that right in the air when I was. That getting made into, me a Galaxy 500 fan. That, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> Dude, discovered that, discovered that in summer of 2000, and just obsessively think that was that's got me into Joy Division. That was how I when I switched from playing guitar to playing bass. Mm-hmm. There's a really good, uh, um, I think Radiohead cover of that also. That's yeah, such a great cover band. They're such a great cover band. If they that. if they just never if they never did more if they never did original stuff ever again and just did covers, I would I still be completely satisfied. Mean, Ceremony was never recorded in the studio by Joy Division. I mean, it was just maybe on mm-hmm. a demo, but I, or like a live, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so I the only like really polished version of it from that band is really new order mm-hmm. and, yeah. and it was their first single i think yeah, yeah there's and there's like four or five versions of it the i could uh and when uh would my uh, my other um who, the guy who was at one point music director of my college radio station wcbn fm ann arbor uh, uh, carlos sufran who is now living in san francisco and still plays out as a dj mm. i can remember when he was also the you know he was the guy who got, he hit me to a lot of a lot of the good stuff we were in, uh, thanks to CMJ 2001 being rescheduled, we wound up go. you know, I had the day, you know, I was, I had, lo- I had been laid off and he had taken the days off, so I was like, well, screw it, let's just go to Chicago instead. And I can remember thinking like, mm-hmm. oh, this was a single, I wonder if it, I wonder if I can find a copy of, uh, of Ceremony, and the fir- he was like, hey, that's, that's, that's a good idea, let's go find it. And the first record store we, we went into had a, had that, that New Order single of Ceremony on a 45 nice. for like $5. Oh, and wow. Like, well, well, shit, that was easy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and bought that and that was that. It was meant to be. But it was said it but the soundtrack was one of those things where everybody you, loved it yeah that was the thing just like the the real like complete saturation kind of of a culture where just you know if everybody from nearly every walk of life was just playing it constantly and it wasn't yeah and it was oh sorry go ahead. Oh, it was just it kind of, kind of like um, Depeche Mode when they came out with Violator. Yeah. All of a sudden, like, they're like a top 40 band. Yeah, yeah and suddenly everybody's just like, everyone caught Depeche Mode, and I'm just like, really? Wow. I used to beat me up for liking that kind of music. It was, <laughs> I can remember listening to listening to the top 40 radio station in Flint, Michigan, CK105, um, and yeah, uh, 1989, they played that, you know, Depeche Mode singles were in constant rotation. Violator is a fucking good album it's though. really good well uh, ju- that's the thing about Depeche Mode actually all their albums are really good they, they and they, they so mm-hmm. I mean I still like the the new stuff that's coming out like lately it's, mm-hmm. yeah it's totally it's completely legit and one of those bands where it's like oh their old stuff was great and like like uh, their new stuff is kind of eh. mm-hmm. but I mean, Sorry, I, I 
<laughs> Sorry, dudes. Well, yeah, but, but uh, they're uh, all English post-punk bands. What are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. You know, we just have to buy their. You know, their, they they just needed to they just needed to break up. I think that it's not good for um, Peter and Daniel and David to really try to write songs together. Like I think that you know, just kind of that anarchy that they that they had when they were like you know young and really 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 high yeah they right place just, right they time really right just yeah they really can't do that anymore and i mean partially just like they tried to to reestablish the friendship that they had and it totally didn't work and you could and like you can kind of see it and kind of feel it in the music of trying to make this connection again and it mm-hmm. doesn't and it doesn't happen and so it's just it's it's more it's it's more sad to listen to than anything else. But and then, but as a, to get it back to an earlier point, a, a sad bit of news. But because of I think Paramount, the, the studio pretty much was was it, once Brandon Lee died with only like three or like three days left of principal photography. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were like, no, just pitch it. We have no idea how to solve this thing, mm-hmm. and we're really we're, we're uh, about ready to just trash the entire enterprise and i think pretty much did mm-hmm. and then miramax came along and pumped some more money into it uh helped you know they they had to rewrite some stuff they cut like the, the scenes with the um with the ghost cowboy were cut a lot of you know the this Thank which were God. which helped which helped <laughs> went uh hey michael newberry in a crow film with a bad mask would have been an, uh, a much weirder thing yeah <laughs> yeah because find know, yeah look at the uh, like i said if you ever want uh ever want to see a weird little kind of like you know cut bits from a film the bits of the crow where i think what is it is it actually called ghost cowboy so the movie was actually made better because brandon lee died and the things the edits that they had to make mm-hmm. because of get you know getting around that yeah right. that does happen That's sometimes yeah. yeah that sometimes yeah. really 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 bad news or something really like tragic or something awful happening over the course of a film's production if that if it can then be salvaged and it needs like revision and stuff it the then it you tend to end up with a really really good picture it's like way. another case and sometimes of, not it's another case of like the shark doesn't work yeah. <laughs> art, art with what was it art are all all art all art has or all good art i see us being the, the one not really artist here <laughs> all um you're fronting, dude. Yeah, the uh, well, my art comes from uh, my 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 art artistic limitations are probably more from due to laziness and ADD than anything else. Mm-hmm. But it's like all good, all great art comes with has limitations. The and the most re- was it the you you just want to interject. You're you're playing a role though, in 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 art by 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 having this podcast and by reacting to it and by having an opinion on it and by. Yeah, you're like Boy, the George it? Martin tour you, Beatles. You are, right. you, yeah, you are one half of the equation. <laughs> I mean, the Beatles, the, you're the Timbaland to yeah. our well, music. It, it, it was the Beatles and the Stones, you see. That. <laughs> Have the Rolling Stones killed. The, but the, uh, well, again, you know, it kind of uh, art through adversity, even, and even most recently, the, the, you know, onset accident with the latest, with, well, not the latest, I should say, the, with these, with Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah. Which caused them to completely, like, like you know, delayed six months and they, you know, and from all, all reports, rewrote some stuff, uh, restructured the film, made mm-hmm. it better from this, 
Yeah, where they're just like... Where they almost killed Harrison Ford on set, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh, what? And they're like basically like re-watching the rushes and stuff and going, Mm -hmm. man, John and Daisy are fantastic. We should really just like open up their roles a little bit and let them have... And give them some more scenes. Uh, okay, we're going to have to revise the story a little bit. Okay, now shoot this. And then they crushed it. And they're like, oh, we could we could do that more. Right. Hey, let's do that even more. So, um, yeah, it just makes me wish that uh, uh, they felt the same about Carrie Fisher. Because uh, she was great. And uh, they really should have let her. They should have given her uh, more lines. We get, Well, we have two more films. Let's see. Yeah, that's true. So when she makes it through the third, uh, the third film, she's well, gonna she be fine. Will, yeah. She's gonna be fine. <laughs> and the, don't um, say that. She's fine. She's immortal. She'll never die. I'll hire vampires to make it happen. The but back to again, um, Miramax had to take the film, kind of restructure it. They cut the mm-hmm. not, it wasn't the ghost cowboy. It was the skull cowboy. Uh, go online, search that for. That sounds way cooler. Yeah, go for search and who, who only appears like I think in like. Like two pa- two or three pages, or at least two or three scenes in the original um, in the original comic series, mm-hmm. but helps you know helps delineate uh, the crow's powers and explains to him you know gives him his you know expository character only with a hat and no face. Mm-hmm. Um, his scene you know all of his scenes <laughs> played by the uh, cult horror icon Michael Newberry should have been Sam Elliott. <sighs> But it he was can't play every he cowboy. Can't, yeah, he can't play every supernatural cowboy. Listen, this one was much more, especially one with, uh, with you know, wearing full-on mask and rotting. Uh, yeah, that would be a waste of his face. His voice, though. It's his his voice. voice is great. It's true. He it's, could have uh, it sells me. Yeah. It can sell me cars. But, and, um, <laughs> but like I said, yeah, they had to structure and they they saved the film. And you know, at, at some point, they used some stunt doubles. And I think, I think I remember reading that at one point they had. God, was it? Was it? I thought it, I thought I read that like Christian Slater had to read even like dubbed him some dialogue, but maybe it was another mm-hmm. actor because mm-hmm. uh, I've heard I've heard that credited to a couple different actors. Oh, mm-hmm. for, you know, for Brandon Lee. For Brandon Lee, yeah, because oh. like they had they, yeah. they, they didn't they they didn't film they they were they were not completely. There's so much like body double work in the uh, in the film, like all all the scenes of him on top of his uh, on top of the roof, you know, just jamming mm-hmm. away at, at his at his metal at his you know hyper metal. The thing about the going back to the music, the music is for you know visually the film is goth. Uh, musically, the film it's not goth. It's kind of like goth. Uh, the, the goth. The, it's like goth it's industrial. Death rock. It's industrial. Yeah, it's industrial and yeah, the industrial little yeah, the way more sort of like um, noisy. But like clear thrill guitar, cult. yeah, kind of thrill, mm-hmm. the more the other the ninety, you know, kind of grunge era marketable mm-hmm. uh, industrial I entrance. It it lacked KMFDM. It did lack well, yes, and or Knights of Reb. Um, that would have also worked out pretty good, but well, you know, uh, yeah, I was kind of curious. I'm, and I I didn't think of looking this up until now. Like, what kind of career boost happened to both? Uh, with my life with the thrill kill cult and as well as medicine as being mm-hmm. the two bands who were shown performing their songs like on screen and even like the uh the thrill kill cult having memorable for, like the second nightclub scene it's like the one where they're still playing through in this where you know where <laughs> you know in this fact in this empty factory where there's just a guy hired to be behind the stage with a grinder just you know mm-hmm. it's they're in a factory that produced you know that 80s 
uh, that eighties movie or heavy metal or music video factory that just produces sparks. You watch them again. There's and there's the angsters in a Neubauten building. Yeah, there's just the guy behind us. But you know, at night, this is like a Friday night. He's that yeah, you, yeah, you know, a he's union just, machinist. He's just, he's just great. He's just you know machining he's some like tools. The you early know? early days of the doof warrior. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. just grinding. He's behind the stage, just grinding and just mm-hmm. shooting sparks everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, all in under, but it's just, a, just something about that stupid scene where um, like they're still they're still playing even though there's this massive massive gunfight mm-hmm. where not one but multiple multiple shot up you know multiple air hold um, bad guys plummet through windows down onto the, it's not until mm-hmm. like the second I think it was the second body that falls yeah exactly that they actually like react like, or oh, they wow. stop playing but you know that's like what thrill hill cult shows are just like you know, every time, like yeah. somebody gets killed and like you know, crashes bloodily onto the stage, every time. So of course they were just like, oh yeah, you know, it's Tuesday. You'd, you'd think they'd ramp up security by now. Nah, like that's my, not the thrill kill call. My, way, my parents wouldn't want to let me go to one of those shows <laughs> if that was the case. No, exactly. Like, that's why the kids love it. <laughs> I got it's danger. I got blocked from going to from uh, going downtown to see Guar on one of their one of their, one of their oh. on their early nineties. Uh, Devil's Night performances at the Capitol Theater, mm. um, and you know that's that's where I was growing up in the uh, growing up in the suburbs. Like, and that's why you're a serial killer now. Uh, not publicly. Okay. Stum. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, but John, you brought the point of like I think one of the, what you saw is one of the failings of the film, and I guess the, the comic too was that his um, I guess both his powers aren't really delineated all that well. Or in, in in the uh, as well as like having a foil. Well, well, well. To me, I I mean, I thought that that wasn't necessarily like a feeling of the comic because the comic just wasn't telling that kind of a story. The comic wasn't telling a Manichaean style um, <clears throat> good versus evil. Here are the rules. Watch them play it out, and good, good guy wins at the last minute. Yeah, it, it was playing. It, it was just a straight up revenge tale. For, you know, people who were the right age group, who had all this angst and turmoil in their own life, you know, they wanted to see the the fucking like, uh, well, I guess in the in the comic it was like the very uh, uh, ethnically uh, diverse uh, bad guys, you know, <laughs> who say things like, "Yo, fool, you smoke all my rock." <laughs> Yeah, uh, James O'Barr, James O'Barr, the original comic creator who does appear, you know, is does have a cameo in the uh, in the film, as doesn't uh, um, is the, uh, what, the what's what's the timestamp at uh, the uh, of the cameo? It's forty odd minutes in. It's the scene where the scene where it's right after you failed, Jeremy. You uh, failed. Yeah, uh, whatever. After right after Gideon, Gideon's pawn shop is blown up, and and Ernie Hudson's character is confronting um, the crow, mm-hmm. and he looks over and he sees a bunch of people. <laughs> because you know this kind of fantasy Detroit is that bad. You see a bunch of like street hooligans uh, looting a, a a store that is still, still on fire. fire. <laughs> still, you know, it has exploded thirty seconds ago, and they show up immediately. And it's yeah, one of you they're can, ready. <laughs> you see a guy carrying a TV with long, you know, balding but with long hair. That is the creator James O'Barr. The other interesting cam there's a, in a film full of in, of um, interesting characters, but I I, I, I like the fact that there's the first time we go to the the villains headquarters um, club, 
you see a uh, you see a ba- that band promo shot of uh, of what is it Hangman's joke of the Crows band of Eric Draven's band. Mm-hmm. Right next to that is a is a uh, black and white promo shot of Big Chief, who were an actual early '90s Detroit um, like rock and roll band, which is a l- nice little thing that I, I a nice touch that I always dug. It's like seeing a Dark Horse comic in yeah. the comic shop of basically any TV show, which is pretty much the only comics you will see on any TV show. You'll notice that almost all of them are Dark Horse titles. I don't know how that's worked out, but it's worked out pretty well. I just wanted to follow up about um, oh, so the uh, the exposition about the, the powers and also the, the lack of having um, a foil uh, to, it's like the you know, uh, classic story structure is basically you know there has to be some sort of conflict and and uh, a way to get beyond that conflict and the story kind of just uh, explains how and and the conflict in the comic it wasn't about the conflict with the bad guys it was like an in, inner turmoil of how does the crow find peace how does you know how, how does he get rid of his his own personal demons and make everything right the way you know sarah says at the beginning of the movie crow comes back to to make things right and it, the, the i didn't mind the lack of exposition on the on the how the powers work or mm, okay. where the the mythology draws from that that it comes from because i know it's you know suspend my disbelief it's a comic and enjoy it as a, a as a fable and what, what the story's about what i charge the movie with is they Shockies. they try to give you that exposition and explain away what his powers are and how to take them away to kind of at like you know with like 10 yards to go <laughs> they're like a the 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 Big bad guy, the boss of Mike, all the other top top dollar, paid the, by Michael Wincott. Top dollar, the Canadian top. with a southern accent, set in Detroit somehow. The 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 accept it. The the white, long haired, well dressed, uh, international male. Yes. Yeah, international. So so he, so he him and 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 his Asian, big, boobed like the, the B- biling. Yeah, biling, his his mall, his Miss biling. Setting up, setting up a trope for the for every. Who likes other to cut film. up, cut, yeah. cut up people's eyes for yeah. her, like, you know, but they great. they figure out like at the very end that okay, wait a minute, he's invincible except if we kill the bird, and they kind of work out the mechanics of yeah. how, and and they just kind of interject this very contrived way they can they, they can set up uh stakes they, yeah, yeah so that there's stakes. some so, kind of stakes so it's not so that, just like this clearly immortal you know wronged bad or good guy and going to, after these guys there has to be some way to take him down otherwise there's no tension right well yeah and in the book there's their just that's their justification in I guess. the in the book there was tension because the crow was so kind of he had such such a maniacal dark side that mm-hmm. it was it was all feeling what he was going through that dark side and that maniacal thing like getting back to it i think i still think the mental health stuff was whitewashed for the movie just like the ethnicities of the bad guys were whitewashed for the movie <laughs> uh, 
Because otherwise it would look really bad. <laughs> it would look really bad. I mean, even it's, yeah, even it in looks kind of bad. Yeah, it looks yeah. Even the, the original comics, how it looks really bad. It yeah, did. James O'Barr. I don't think it took it took it took James O'Barr a while to to realize to how to to learn how to like non insultingly render black people because the, mm-hmm. there's some uh, in the in the first couple of issues that we, some yeah. of the stuff gets really bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, and like they're, they're just sitting there eating their watermelon, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden this. Yeah. You know, gothic white knight in shining armor comes to mm-hmm. Peter Murphy comes to you know meet yeah. out justice, and uh, you know what? As a black person, I can tell you that doesn't happen. Peter Murphy doesn't show up to, you know, meet out justice to even black people who do bad things. Right? He just uh, he doesn't show up. But um, yeah, so so I guess like making the movie so that, that like less racist that's a good thing, but making making the movie whitewashed in the way that um that the you know the taking away the the less savory less palatable traits of the hero to make him more uh i guess more relatable relatable but the kind of thing you could put a poster up in your bedroom and like your mom's not gonna freak out uh that i i sort of i sort of thought this is kind of contrived bs and it's, it's sort of contrived in a way that like they're setting up a new morality for comic book movies and that like it's okay mm-hmm. it's it's now okay you can still be heroic and be fixated about obsessive violent revenge mm-hmm. and like that's like that's now something to be celebrated and not just extermination but like painful extermination yeah, like, like, which, like sadism is now yeah is now cool yeah. it is is now isn't it is now is now okay and, if, they, and, they, and i feel like that's really kind of been run with a little bit and uh, when it's done well there's what? one way there there's one that that's that's one approach but it can be done badly so so much more easily i guess so i thought i think when frank miller did it you know he did it kind of with batman it's like wow this is incredible because he's doing it with a character that we all know and he's kind of like probing the the inner psyche of him and it's like a very interesting spin on the relationship with the joker and you want to say something oh no i'm just saying that but two things about a whitewashing um the really like i said they uh brandon lee ended up you know scoffing at i think one of the earlier versions of the script which had like this this uh evil um evil mystical asian character i think who got kind of rewritten into being the the bad guy's mole um but also i think the film itself is actually far less far less sadist than 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 the uh than the comic the book, series yeah uh, absolutely and and because we are running out of time i want to at least wrap uh, nothing else just start wrapping things up of because I gotta go pick up uh, my friend Miranda, and we gotta go see a movie in thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what I'm saying is the comic books like let sadism, you know, uh, shine through as being something like scary and dangerous. Mm-hmm. In the movie, they kind of sold it to you as as like, you know, this yeah, is cool. This, this is kind of well, cool. Yeah, this and is, it's is... And yeah with the they sanded off the edges of both the act, the acts, and the character, <laughs> if you will. Well, the axe he does, not just the axe, because I don't think he wields an actual axe, which would have made it, which would have made an interesting, you know, how do you fight, how do you, uh, 
you know, how do you fight? Yeah, but they really did. They uh, they an angry immortal guy with an axe. Yeah, <laughs> makes it harder. I think I think not the for the audiences that didn't read the comic, which is probably the majority, ninety nine point nine, the vast yeah. vast majority. So yeah, they didn't notice that they just kind of taped on this really cheap plot device at the very end of the story just to make for a good a good you know conclusion sequence and to me it was like eh, I, I it seemed like it was kind of a hybrid sort of yeah uh, type of movie what it was trying to accomplish but all in all I guess I think part of it, it's it's one of those things where I think it was a film where it is very much one of those films like <laughs> like the Lost Boys where the the age at which you see it uh, and it's, if you see it young enough or at a certain part time of life or part um, imprints you know it will imprint on you to where it becomes the, this um, because you know, same thing with any with with any like with any uh, uh, like film or whatever you that you enjoy it imprints on you from a certain age. Like an, almost like an un, a much more uncritical age that you just it's just it's just it's it's a, something you have like warm feelings and it's always kind of like you know the, its flaws being what they are and kind of overlooked yeah and so I'm so like I said I still, no it's, no it's, yeah looking back on it you know I still enjoyed it. it's kind of it's still the uh, it's still definitely you know worthwhile the just for both Brandon Lee and Ernie Hudson um, and it just like I said it's a very different uh, a a time capsule very much of what you know <laughs> of uh, a, a pop cultural time capsule from before uh, before modern times i guess it, it kind of begs the question um what would superman do with unlimited power and, and uh you know the ability to to stand up against any enemy like what would he do if lois lane was gang raped and I mean that kind of question has not been. Why asked. hasn't Frank Miller written that? Right, book? but, they, they, but they, they, that, that's kind of like what the crow is, and it's like a lot of people who have experienced that kind of trauma or are close to it in real life, and know people who have been victimized like that. They kind of they, they sort of needed, you know. I, it's yeah. like, but well, I think, but that's that story has been told, and it's called it's called injustice. The it's it's, it's part of the backstory between the uh, the the DC superheroes fighting game. From this alternate world where uh, Lois, Lois Lane is killed, and you know she's pregnant and is killed by the Joker, and Superman snaps and just completely goes Alan Moore Miracle Man, uh, and but more to the more sort of taking over the taking over the worlds, um, and then you have some like Earth Two alternate universe stuff that kicks in. Well, but, I mean, the Crow uh, movie was just the high-profile version of that yeah. for, for, for the masses. Or like, um, the people who can't read comic books. It's so. like, oh, all of a sudden, like, shit got real for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some aspects of, like, what kind of uh, traumas and crimes we're avenging here. It's not just, like, mm -hmm. muggings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess... Um, do you mean a fi uh, final? Any final thoughts from you? Um, I think that the crow was definitely uh, for a lot of us, um, especially uh, people my age, um, maybe younger, maybe older. I don't know. Uh, I, I I can't really speak for them. I can only speak for myself. Um, How old it are was, you? Uh, I'm 44. Um, so I had just. Uh, or I was just about to graduate from college, I guess, when it came out. Um, 
So, uh, and, you know, I had kind of been a goth for a while at that point. So watching the movie was, was both um, something that I was, I was able to recognize every single trope that was used in the film that... Uh, I remember that, you know, if I can quote myself from that time, walking out of the theater, having seen it with a bunch of my friends, I turned to them and said, this is like the first like major Hollywood, you know, this is the first goth Hollywood major blockbuster. And I think that things, you know, like we're going to, this is going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see like what kind of effect that this has. And I think that it did, it was really instrumental in sort of bringing these elements of what had been a more underground culture to the foreground. And, you know, it, I don't, I don't blame the crow for Hot Topic, <laughs> but I know that the two kind of go hand in hand and that really there's, there's, kinda, there's nothing wrong with that, really, I think. Um, I, but at the same time, it also kind of implies that, um, that kind of viewpoint and that kind of, you know, the wearing black clothes lifestyle and, you know, jet black hair and piercings and, you know, and katanas and, katanas <laughs> and stuffed animals and, you know, roses and, you know, crows and stuff is something that's a provenance of the young, that it's something that only young people actually really care about. The younger, and the younger, the better. And I mean, I know some kids who were like in first grade who were pretty goth. And I mean, I can't imagine having grown up with some with that kind of culture available to me as opposed to something that I kind of shamefully had to like seek out and explore. And instead, no, you just go to the mall and there's that one store that yeah. has that stuff. And so I'm kind of jealous of them. But at the same time, I'm also kind of glad that, you know, I had to go through and get the stuff myself. So um, I like I like the film a great deal. Um, it doesn't quite hold up. Uh, it's a little dated, but Brandon Lee is always just he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, his his star power is undeniable to this day. And more than anything, watching The Crow makes you incredibly sad that his life was cut short at such a it's such an incredibly young age. Right mm -hmm. when he was about to, you know, just before he was going to become an international superstar. But would he have become an international superstar had he not died? Maybe not, because, you know, his death did affect the film itself. So it's one of those paradoxes that we get to live with. Uh, John, any final thoughts? I remember um, I worked in a movie theater, I think, when I first saw The Crow, and I had other friends who did also, who were also kind of, who were maybe more entrenched in the, the goth lifestyle than I was. I was kind of on the periphery. But, um... I argued with like my female friends about it because they thought Brandon Lee was the the sexiest shit and that, that they loved the crow and and everything. But I, don't know, and I, I would be watching it and I'm like, uh, the scene where Brandon Lee or where, where the crow comes in is like, I just want him and he <laughs> and they're, they're they're using skank as as bait and he's just sniveling. He's like this guy he's got like an eye horse skank he's yeah. got he obviously has like an eye scared man he's <laughs> over there <laughs> make a, i can be like a woman on a big i'm wearing like a, on a big fat fucking hook <laughs> that was that was amazing thank you you, just, you, got to, you just have to clench your jaw where <laughs> you can't have it yeah um and uh and uh 
you know that that whole scene and and when he finally does kill skank it's like he's basically just this this guy who's got like an iq of 60 mm-hmm. who's like I don't know how I got caught up with these guys. I don't know why. Yeah, just please, I'm begging for my life here, and <laughs> I'm going to kill you anyway. Yeah. And he just, just, and he murders him. And I'm like, how can you feel good about that? And my friend <laughs> Sasha is like, well, you know, he gang raped his girlfriend with all the other guys. He raped her. And I said, well, yeah, they used a plot device so that we know early on he is he really does bad. To die. So whatever yeah. happens to him, it's just but like showing the hero of a movie just exacting revenge so cold blooded like that on somebody who's begging for their life. I it's kind wasn't, of harsh. I yeah. wasn't ready to embrace that. I was like, that's still. I you know even though he uh, like like you know the 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 morality of comics and the, the the moral compass I grew up with was sort of like the the lessons that they give you after He Man. It's like no matter <laughs> how bad anybody is, it's like you know you don't take a life. And He Man thought he killed somebody in one episode. The Skeletor tricked him. He was so morose. He renounced all his powers. He's like I killed a human being. I can't believe or. Or citizen and, of Eternia. And found out about Christmas, too. And, and it's just like, wow. It's, it's like, good guys don't kill people just because they have the power to do so. Um, so I, I, I was really conflicted about it. I love the aesthetics. I love the music. I thought Brandon Lee was charismatic as all hell. I love Ernie Hudson. Yeah. I love, you know, I, I just... Uh, it's, it just didn't sit right with me. It's, it seemed like a new uh, a new morality of what is right and wrong was trying to be shoved down my throat by people trying to market this goth culture that they discovered the kids are into, and they're like, "Let's give this culture. Th- this is what this is what the the this is the Rosetta Stone of what it's all about and what our you know what what the." Uh, what what the philosophy of being goth is it's like you know mm-hmm. you you but mixed with vigilanteism you hurt you hurt yeah you, you hurt me i don't know it's, it's yeah. like this very there's there's a lot of charles bronson in it yeah there's hey. a lot of you know uh dirty harry it's, uh, very, it's very libertarian you yeah know, kind, it's, kind and it like, is very libertarian or, just like you know i'm above the law and i yeah well, and also, i've always and also reactionary yeah, yeah completely reactionary it, it was very i spoke to a very conservative period for I mean, Bill Clinton was president, yes, but he had that very tough on crime stance, and uh, which is, like I said, gets us into a whole other a whole other episode. The the the, and, the, 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 the rise of the the, the right wing uh, radio media of, new, of uh, the Rush Limbaugh uh, talking right. heads and, and all that stuff. Yeah, we, we were definitely in in a new phase that the crow definitely like fit into as far as uh, the. Uh, what what an audience was able to accept and you know yeah. and enjoy. life in the like the beginning life. of grimdark yeah the beginning of, and we have to leave it there uh i want to thank my guests for her showing up tonight real quick uh john how can folks reach you on the internet if they if you want them to um they can reach me uh my my website which hasn't been uh updated but whatever <laughs> johnasher.com j o n a s c h e r i'm on facebook as 
Well, it's right now it's Jonathan Bad Ombre Asher. He's a bad ombre. It's because of the yeah, I got you. Ombre and ombre. I don't know. It's a date. All podcasts are dated. All recordings are dated, and (laughs) we uh, we we are you know culture happens in the time it happens in. So yeah, Instagram John Asher artwork with artwork spelled with a. A R T W E R K. Vic. You, you're not going to remember any Vic. of this. Doesn't matter. Well, that's that's why go, that's why it goes on. That's why <laughs> Just, I, mean, I, I go. It go. It, this is all going on to a record. And I'll put it in the show notes. Ask, there you go. Ask Jeremy how to get in touch with me. There you go. Ask Jamia. Jamia dot com. J E M I A H. That's my website. Um, variations on my name are available on Twitter and Facebook, but just go to my website. And we uh, just and once again, the like, subscribe, review. Uh, for the tens of you who are, who will hear this, uh, you can f- get if you have any questions for me or you want to get a hold of the show. It's giving the mic on Twitter, all one word. Giving the mic at gmail.com. and we now finally have a Facebook page just called um, facebook.com slash giving the mic, uh, all one word. Yada yada. All right, on behalf of John and Jimmy, I, think, I want to thank them again for again our time on this a rather prolonged. <laughs> Couple Man, prolonged recording are, sessions. This has been thorough, baby. Oh, yeah, you haven't edited yet. Yeah, so and, I'm sure there's a lot of this stuff. Going we'll on. see what I, yeah, we'll see how long this is going to take me to cut down. But I want to thank everybody. <laughs> you could have, get a lot of episodes out of this, so. yeah. right? And we'll and we'll do what we can. But thanks thanks for tuning thanks for uh, tuning in and listening to us uh, discuss topics that could probably go we go on another eight hours about. But anyway, good night, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Talking all about like the Native American, uh, I guess mythos that inspired the the powers of the crow and. If you want to, sure. Well, I mean, cause cause uh, like actually the um the just the, the nuts and bolts of what are what are his powers? How do they work? How did he get them? I mean, the, the, there isn't really that much exposition in the movie, but there's a lot of kind of hey, it's a, it's a it's a mythical thing. People used to believe this. It's actually true. It only happens once in a while. Go with it. Yeah, I think the um, the um, delineation of powers is a bit that they don't really uh, they don't get it. I don't know if how much they get into all that much either in comic or in or in movie. It's like yeah, he doesn't have a tr- um, the one the one scene where he would have had where they had a character played by Michael Bar- was it Michael Barry um, as like the uh, as the ghost cowboy um, you know which was cut i think and the only evidence that he's in there is you can just see there, there's just a shot yeah, I remember we were something yeah we watched a shot and um actually explained some things but eventually they figured you know they they change you know they cut the stuff they didn't they didn't like it they cut it out they put you know he all his dialogue was moved to other characters and they just thought he was extraneous and so he got the, cut they they add, they added exposition about the powers um near the end and this is this is their only attempt to actually give Brandon Lee a foil in the movie it's like the, the the black henchman says to the the, the long haired uh, yeah, kingpin. He's like top dollar, dis- Michael Wincott. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, uh, so kill the bird, destroy the man, and, and you know, and then they they figure it out that oh, that bird's always there. If we get the bird, he will have no powers anymore. And now all of a sudden he is. It's like, oh, maybe maybe the crow's actually gonna be in peril peril for a second. Yeah, before the, he vanquishes the bad guy. Well, there, there's that, but it's also the I think Bai Ling, Bai Ling's character is the one who is the the mm-hmm. mystical one. It's like 
you know, he has power, but it is power you can take. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think she was kind of, that's the broad stroke. She's getting at what... what... And set up, actually set up, it became a trope for every other film that the, 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 um, the villain always has a psychotic, mystical, spiritual... Um, you know his mall is always like the is always the one that he's into like the uh, in like the the mystical aspects of it. Yeah, if sh- and that it happens to be into this stuff. Yeah, then and, and go, it starts with Bai Ling in the first one and goes until Tara Reed in the last one. <laughs> yeah, the last the last Crow movie is a piece of work. Is uh, it's um, it's something. But the, the last one is uh, Edward Furlong. That, yes, yeah, the yeah, one that I can say where Edward Furlong looks like um, looks like Feruza Bach. <laughs> So that that that's always kind of just why it was never as com- that compelling of a, of a story to me is because he didn't have a foil and I think part, a lot of it was just like the pure uh, just the emotionalism of it all and just the uh, the um... also there's also a uh, if you want there is a there's an armrest guard right by you mm-hmm. if you can eat it because the cat has uh, has mm-hmm. eaten the uh, she sure has has done some work on that yeah. Yeah, right down there. Actually, right to your right. But I mean, he he, he, he didn't have he didn't have a foil in the comics, so there it was just telling a very different kind of story than the Manichaean good versus evil that we're used to seeing. Uh, it was, but in the movie they kind of had to Hollywoodize it, you know, and and give him a foil. Well, yeah, they, had to, the they, they have to, you yeah. know, they have to push that in there a little bit. They had, yeah, because it's kind of the thing. One of the things they bring up is the uh, the lack of delineation of powers. All right. Um, mm-hmm. If you get your headphones, like, oh, yeah. we'll start back up again. All right.